0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask for your leading, your guidance, and for us to see what you would want us to see as we go through this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 7. This is Job's continual, continued answer to Eliphaz. Uh, remember, Eliphaz's argument was that bad things don't happen to good people. If bad things are happening, you obviously have sinned. And Job has been giving his answer back to Eliphaz saying, I have not sinned that bad. So we're going to continue chapter seven. Is there not an appointed time for man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? As a servant earnestly desires the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights and appointed, are, are appointed unto me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossing to and fro uh, unto the dawn, dawning of day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and, and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is, is, a, is wind. My eye ha- shall see no more good. Shall no more see good. The eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more. Your eyes are upon me and I am not. We're going to stop there. All right, so we're looking at this. Job starts out in the verse 1 of chapter 7. Is not it a point, an appointed time to man upon earth? And this word literally means warfare or service. And he's basically saying that we are appointed a period of time on earth and it's going to be tough. <laughs> All right. It's kind of what he's saying. We're at war the whole time we're here. And he goes in and his days like that of a hireling. In other words, you spend your entire life serving and working and toiling. And that is true because when Adam and Eve fell, Adam fell and God says that you will work by the sweat of your brow and and the ground is not going to give back its fullness to you. And so there is some truth in his statement. Life can be very hard. And we toil from the time we're born till the time we die, and we have good periods in it at times, but overall it is hard labor, and this is what Job's staying. You know, all we're appointed a certain period of time and we're going to work the whole time. We're going to have a hard time. All right. You can see that he's kind of uh, on the depressed side of things at this point. And he goes as a servant earnestly desires shadow or shade. He goes um, you know shadow is a, would also be shade. You're out there working hard in the sun. You want to find some shade. And, and then he goes and as the hireling looks for his reward or the wages of his work. So he says We spend our time looking for some comfort, all right? And most of us, the comfort in our our daily work is that we get paid at the end of the week or the end of the day or however we get paid, and we get our reward, all right? For us as Christians, the hard thing for us when we serve God is God's reward is when we get done with his life, he gives us a reward in heaven. And Job is kind of complaining about this a little bit. All right he goes, "I spend all this time doing what God wanted me to do now, look what my reward is, and I'm waiting to get the reward that i that I desire all right so he's looking at this thing that he has been serving he's he's working hard, and the reward has been deferred as far as he's concerned now remember we've talked about this. He and his friends all believe that we get rewarded in this world for doing good work. And there is this tendency for God to give us reward. But there's no promise that we're going to be rewarded either good or bad in this lifetime. Even though God does that. And Job is saying, hey, I'm just, I just want my pay. I want my pay. I want, my, I want shade. And verse 3 is a verse that I have never noticed in all my readings and teachings of Job. It says, So I made to possess months of vanity. Now, I've oftentimes wondered how long Job suffered. And here it is that he is saying months of vanity. Now, there are those who believe that he was being figurative and expanding upon it. I don't think so. I think he has been suffering for a while, and this is why it's starting to wear. Down on him, so I think this is a literal statement. I have been suffering for months, at least two months, if, or, or longer. And if you've ever been sick for any long, you know, any period of time, or in pain for any period of time, it starts to add up after a while. And you feel fine the first first month or weeks, and then you know you go through this. And I've told you all I had a six months so I was on crutches on a gout attack one time, and toward the end it got to be really irksome because I was always in pain Job is in pain not only is he in emotional pain having lost his family uh, uh, and losing all of his wealth remember that he's got this disease that that's boils all over him and he's been scratching and and itching and probably infected and from what he's saying here he's had months of emptiness and this is something, like I said, I've never noticed this verse before. Out of all the times I've ever read through the book of Job, I've never noticed this statement. And his statement is that he's been suffering for a long period of time. All right. Uh, and the weariness of nights are appointed unto me or ordained unto me. So, and this is where he said, I'm not even able to sleep. And if we've ever had a period of time where you could not sleep, whether by pain or by uh, problems in your life, this is what he's saying. All right. Uh, Says when I lie down, I say when I arise and the night is when shall I arise and the night be gone. I am full of tossing to and fro until the dawn of day. So he's going to bed with a restful, uh, restless night tossing. And his whole dream, his whole statement is, "When am I going to go to sleep and just wake up, and this bad dream is going to be over?" All right, kind of turn, turn that, turn to you. He's he's going to bed saying, "When is this nightmare going to be over?" And I'm going to wake up and find out that it was just <laughs> a very bad dream. And you know, some of us have been there sometimes when things are going on. Job seven. Uh, when things are going on, and we are just saying someday this is all going to be over, I hope. (laughs) And this is where Job's at. And it says, months. And and like I said, this jumped out at me when I was studying it. And and I've taught Job several times, and I've never noticed this verse uh, on there. It's one of these verses that I joke with God about, God, when did you add that verse to the Bible? Because I have never seen this verse before, and yet it's saying, I've done this for a long time now. And I've had all this emptiness, and... He says, "I am, uh, I am full," and this word for full is satiated. Now, satiated means that you are filled all the way to the top, not an overstuffed filled, but it's when you sit down at a meal and you do it the right way, and you end while you're while you're no longer hungry, and you don't go and overeat and end up miserable. This this is the idea that everything is right to the top no more room for more without getting discomfort but you're also not hungry and he says i'm having my fill of tossing and turning (laughs) yeah he's he's really in a bad place all right he's in so much pain he's not sleeping he's very full he's looking for this then he goes this very interesting statement my flesh is clothed with worms now this is a bad translation on it. Literally, it is maggots. All right, huh? That's what I was thinking. Maggots. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, and and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome or rejected. All right, and you got to remember, he's got these boils that he's been scratching at, so it is probably definitely infected, probably oozing out the poisons and everything from being infected. And if you've ever had a boil, the last thing you need, that you're supposed to do is pop that boil, and yet, how many of us have scratched them till they pop, and then they get infected, and his body is filled with these boils that he's scratching with a clay, you know, clay shards. And that means that he is infecting himself over this. And then, because he's so sad, he's throwing dust all over himself on top of it all. Didn't sit trash Well, yeah, it's so, some form of something like that you know Uh, and he's just miserable scratching himself with the clay breaking these boils four months (laughs) a couple of months it doesn't tell us how much but at least two or more and feeling sorry for himself all right and we can understand why he's feeling sorry for himself when we think about what he's going through Uh, and so all of this is going on and I don't know that he literally had maggots on his, on his <laughs> flesh or not, but he definitely felt like he was. He said that he was. So we're going to have to go that. His skin is broken from all of his constant scratching and, and everything. He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Now, I don't know if anybody has ever watched somebody weave by hand, but somebody who's good at weaving by hand gets that, that uh, device, that shuttle, shuttle moving back and forth very quickly. And so he's saying, somebody that's good at this, my days are going really, really fast. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement to me. His days are, with, are spent without hope. My problem is when I have bad days, they seem to last forever. It's the good days that go by fast. fast. So I'm kind of wondering about this statement. You know, it's like I have no, I really don't know how to conceive this one because when my days are bad, I would really wish that they went by fast. All right. But he's saying his days are going by fast and they're spent without hope. He has no expectation of it getting better again. All right. This is where he's at. He's going I have no hope for the future. And this is where we, we, where we met him when his friends came. He was sitting in a pile of dust and, and everything, scratching himself and, and basically saying, "Woe was me? <laughs> and no hope. This is never going to end. And again, been there, done that. When, when I had that six months of gout attack, is like, God, I'm just getting to the place where this is never going to end. I'm going to be on crutches the rest of my life. Uh, and go forward on this. And we've all probably had some experience where we've felt like we're never going to get to the end of this. And Job is saying, yeah, I've lost everything. I help, my health, my possessions, my kids. There is just no hope for the future. And you think about this. His wife told him to curse God and die. So, I mean, it's, and so far he's been pretty good about not doing that. He's got friends that are really helpful to him, telling him how bad he is. And he's going, okay, do, is anybody going to comfort me? Remember in the last chapter he said, you guys are terrible comforters? He goes, if I, had, if I had come to you, even though I would have believed that you had done something wrong, I at least would have encouraged you. And this is something that, you know, they're, they're in there just saying, Job, you've done something wrong, just admit it. Get it over with, admit it, and then, God, and then you can repent and God can forgive you. And how many times do we tend to do the same thing to people? We know they've done something wrong, so we're going to go, let me help you, you know, recognize what you've done wrong and get right with God. We want to be careful of that because in Job's case, he hadn't done anything wrong. All right, Even though he would have had the same problem. He says, oh, remember that my life is wind. My eyes shall see no more good. He says, my life is short. It's just a vapor. I'm almost done. There is no hope. I, I am frail. And I have no expectation of anything good coming in. And this is, you know, he said, I have no, my days are spent without hope. Now he says, my eyes shall never see good. This is how low he is at this point. God, you know, and at this point, he's basically wanting to say, God, just take me home. This is, I'm tired of this. They're never going to see anything good. My days are short. Just end them. And we need to be careful because most of us have probably been there at some point in our life where it's like, okay, this is, you know, so much going on. I don't, I don't want to see it anymore. Just I'm ready to go. Now for us as Christians, that's an easy thing too, because heaven is going to be wonderful. (laughs) This earth is terrible. Even though, even at its best, it's not that great, and Job's life is not good. And he's spending his life. He says, "Right now, I am looking at life, and there is no expectation of ever seeing anything good. My kids are all dead. I'm not going to see any grandkids. I lost all my wealth. My health is gone, and I can't even hope to make it more income because my health is gone. My kids are all gone, so there's no kids to take care of me." So he's in a place where he is at total despair. And we can understand his despair. And he's going, there will be no more hope. No more expectation of good coming my way. Verse 9. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so is he that goes down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I am, am I a sea or a whale that thou sets a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrified me through visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than life. All right, here is Job really getting into his complaint. He goes, As a cloud is consumed and vanishes away, so is he that goes down to the grave shall come no up no more. Now this is kind of interesting because this week I was d- doing a lot of testing of one person at a time. So rather than stare at the guy the whole time, there was a window and I was kind of watching a cloud t- at one point and how it just was a cloud and then the next thing I looked up and the cloud was not there anymore not because of rain but the wind had blown it blown it away and I was thinking as I read this and going how interesting because I don't ever look at clouds and yet this is what job this is what job is describing clouds come and go now sometimes they come and go because of the rain sometimes they just get blown blown out of existence he goes as the cloud is consumed and vanished away so is he that goes down to the grave shall come up no more now at this point job is basically saying i'm going to die i I want to die maybe not he's i'm going to die but he says life is short life is as a cloud and it's, it's over quickly and once it's gone you don't see it anymore and basically at this point he's saying i just want to die i just but he's also pointing out that when somebody dies, you're not seeing them anymore. All right? And this is something that's so interesting because I hear so many people go, you know, if I die. Well, it's not an if, it's a when you die. We're all going to die at some point. And the funny thing about this is everybody I have ever met that, that I know that, you know that has died, they always had plans. It wasn't like they knew they were going to. You know, very rarely do people know they're going to die, and even when they know they're dying, they still make plans. They've got doctor's appointments because they don't know the exact day of their death. All right. And Job saying, "There's coming a time when you just the cloud. You're you're a cloud, and all of a sudden you vanish, and nobody sees you anymore." What a what an issue that he is, and he's being he's in a very dark place, right now. And these guys are not doing a good job comforting him. To to make him feel any better and he says he shall return no more to his house neither shall his place know him anymore so he's going once you die that's it job is probably contemplating death a lot at this point he's in pain he's suffering he has no hope his only hope is to die and and be, be with God that's his only hope and that is what he's contemplating right now and this is where he's at he's in the in a very low desolate place and we need to be very careful when we get into that kind of a place that we can get the wrong thoughts coming our direction and if we're not concentrating on what God is doing for us it is going to lead us into a darker place now as I've said this several times Job did not have a Bible to read he, he even though he tends to believe in the Romans eight twenty eight principle as he goes on, you know, there's no Bible that says Romans eight twenty eight where all things work together for good. He doesn't have that verse. He doesn't have God's going to lead him. He doesn't have all of these verses that we can have when we go into a rough place. It's got to be hard for him. Now he knows truth, but he's not. What he knows is been communicated by. Parents and grandparents and and oral tradition doesn't make it less true. It just means he does not have something to grab hold of. And if when you're in a very low place, it's hard sometimes to remember what you know, right? And this is why it's been said. And I love this statement. I've given it to you all before. Do not forget in the darkness what you learn in the light. Take what God teaches you, and when it is dark. Remember what it is you have been taught. Job is starting to forget what he's been taught. Now again, go back to that verse 3. It's been months that he's been going through this. And he's starting to doubt what he believes. And it's easy to doubt what you believe or start to doubt what you believe when you're suffering for a long period of time. And it's hard on him. And he is... Suffering from all of this. He's saying, I'm gonna die. He feels like he's gonna die. He's sure he's gonna die. He has no hope of life. And he basically he wants to die. All right? He's in pain. Everything's been taken away from him. And the one thing he's got to think about on this, even if I happen to get my health back, now I gotta go out and earn everything back again. And get this all back and then if we're going to have kids we're going to start a family all over again. So he's looking at this very negative at this point. Even if I get healthy again I have got to work hard rather than being at being at the end and having leisure. It would be like any of us when we get okay I'm trying to retire and your house falls apart and the banks totally fall apart and now you've got to earn a living all over again because everything is gone. This is where Job's at. Do not forget in the dark what you learned in the light. I don't know who said it originally. I heard it from from Pastor Chuck Smith. uh, And I'm sure he wasn't original with him. But it is a true statement. Whatever you learn in the easy time, when it's easy to learn it, when God sends the trial, don't abandon what you know. And that's when it's real easy for us to say, well, I'm not so sure that that was a true statement because it seems to not be true. So when you're in the middle of a trial, don't forget what God taught you. All right? And this is very important. Job is forgetting what he knew, knows about God at this point in the middle of his trial. And again, it's been months that he's been, been under, under attack. And it's the most severe attack that, that anybody could be under. He's lost literally everything. And it goes against everything he knows. I mean, he believes that when you serve God, you're going to get blessed. And all of a sudden, nothing good is happening in his life. So he is struggling right there. Because God is saying, I want you to know me. And for us, we, what does he tell us? He wants that we're to know Jesus and him crucified, even when we're in tough times. But again, he does not have a Bible to go to. He can only remember what he remembers And his friends should be coming in and giving him encouragement, and reminding him what God says. And all they're doing is criticizing him. All right. So they're not doing a good job helping him remember the word. And that was his statement in the last chapter. He goes, and there was that statement. He goes, even if I thought somebody had been bad, I would encourage them. He goes, and that's not what you're doing. And another place later on, he's going to say, you are terrible comforters. You know, you came here to comfort me and you are doing a bad job. And we want to be careful that we're not bad comforters when we're trying to help somebody. And encourage and bring the love of God into somebody's life when they're hurting. And this is so important because I've said this over and over again. Our tendency is to give people law and rules and instruction. But what we're supposed to do is give grace and mercy to people. Because that's what Jesus does to us. He brings grace and mercy and love to us. Then once we're in a good place, then he starts correcting us and teaching us what we need to get rid of and and how to change. But he starts out with grace. We as individuals need to learn, number one, to give grace to ourselves because a lot of us have trouble giving grace to ourselves because we feel like, oh, I'm trying to give excuses for it. No, we need to learn to give grace. And then number two, give grace to other people. And this is so important to to learn to give grace. Now grace does not make excuses and say it's okay that you sinned. It's okay that you have done wrong, but grace is saying God still loves and and cares for you and still has a position for you. But we too many people think that well if you give them grace you're trying to say they have a excuse to go out and sin. Well, As we read this morning in the the scripture, grace is not a license to sin. If you can sin without having conviction of God, then you probably don't know him in the first place. And grace is not something that gives people permission to sin when when it's done right and applied right. And this is what I have seen over time. People do not want to sin just because, well, God's going to give me grace. I can do whatever I want. That just shows you you don't have a relationship with God if you can think that way. Now the good news is that when I do sin, God is graciously going to forgive me of my sin. He'll, he'll give me my spanking and my discipline, but he's graciously going to forgive and not give me everything that I deserve. Thank, 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 well, thank God for that, because I'd be in trouble if I got everything that I deserved, and so would anybody else that's listening. So this is where he's at. He says... All of these things, he goes, I'm I'm looking at death very soon. And then verse 11, therefore, so he says, I'm miserable. Everything's wrong. Therefore, I will not refrain or hold back my mouth. He says, I am going to say what I think. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement because basically he's saying, now, normally, I wouldn't say what I think really think in this case, but he says, I am not going to hold back my tongue. I am not going to leave it in check. And he says, I will speak in the anguish or distress of my spirit. I will complain. And this word actually for complain is meditate. This is not a good thing to do. You do not want to meditate on what's going wrong. And that's yet what he says, I will meditate in the bitterness of my soul. How many times have you spent your time dwelling on all the bad stuff that's going on in your life? And I have never met a single person meditating on the bad stuff going on in their life that gets better. Are we talking just today or? <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> If you're meditating on the bad stuff and you're turning it over and turning it around and everything, what happens? It gets, well, I'm not going to say it gets worse. You feel worse. (laughs) The problem is just as bad as it was, but you're sitting there turning it and saying, you know, he's looking at this saying, well, I'm in this much pain. I've lost everything. These friends of mine are really wonderful as as they're condemning me. I'm already struggling with my own, trying to figure out what I've done wrong. And here I am in pain. And he's meditating upon the pain and turning it over and turning it over. And he's sitting there in the bitterness of his soul. And again, remember, when we talk about soul, it is the innermost seat of our emotions and our appetites. So in the innermost part of his soul, he's turning over how bad things are. How awful things are and he's musing on them and kind of saying how can things get worse I don't want to know how things can get worse they already seem to be getting worse and this is something if we've all probably been there at some point in our life where we're just musing on how bad things are and you don't get feeling better when you're meditating on (laughs) everything that's going wrong terrible place to be and it doesn't matter whether it's hours minutes days weeks months it's going to be worse in this case with months but he's sitting there meditating on all the things that are going wrong and i can picture this you know first i lose all my possessions then i lose all my kids now i lose my health my wife is no help to me at all she's she's telling me to curse god these friends of mine come along and they're they're terrible encouragers God, what what is wrong with the, all of this? You know, what did I do to deserve this? Which is going to get he's going to make that statement in just a moment. But he's sitting there, over and over, just turning over all the bad things that are happening to him. It's the world's way of doing it. Yeah. It's the world's way of doing things is just to mull over all the bad things that hap- are happening, and we you know the world will tell us we're just you know, just dwell on all the bad, and then eventually something good will happen and shake you out of it. Not the way it happens usually. At least never not in my lifetime, I haven't seen that. But we start changing the way we think. What do we pay attention to? All right. And it is easy for us to go do just what he's doing, as was said. I mean, bad things are happening, it never looks like anything's going to end. He's already saying, I have no hope, I want to die. I just want to get it over with, God. Why won't you take me home? This is miserable. Why? Why did I lose everything? I'm, you know, I, I want to get this over with, and you know, I just need God. Would somebody even come in and give me some comfort? Would anybody just say things are going to be okay? Now, usually, you don't even want to hear that, though. When you're in the midst of everything, you don't want to hear somebody say it's going to be okay. That's exactly yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> what makes you think this is all going to be okay especially when it's been months of trial it's one thing to say everything's going to be okay right after everything's fallen apart because but you know in a month you know months of months of suffering I'm pretty sure if somebody said everything's going to be okay to Job he's going yeah go go away I'm not even at this point he probably couldn't hear good counsel anyway he would reject it out of hand because I've been there I don't want to hear you tell me that everything's going to be okay I know God says it's going to be okay but I don't see the end I do not see the light at the end of the tunnel somewhere there's a curve up there and there might be some uh, a light at the end of that tunnel but I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel this is where Job's at at the moment I'm. he says I'm miserable I'm going to die I have no hope and when you're at a place with no hope It's a bad, bad place to be. And this is where Job is saying, I am without hope. He goes, and he's looking here, and he knows that there's a resurrection. He knows there's a life after. He's going to talk about this. But at this point, he's saying, when I die, I'm dead, and nobody's going to miss me. Nobody's going to miss me. All they'll know is that I'm gone. He's not even looking at being with God. He's not looking at anything on that. He is just saying there is no hope. This is how bad he is at this point. And nobody's given him any hope. His wife is saying, if things are so bad, just curse God and let him take you home. You know, get it over with. Curse him. Friends are telling him, you know, the first one to speak to him, Job, you know that good bad things don't happen to good people, so you obviously have done something wrong. Even though he keeps telling them, I have not done anything to deserve this kind of treatment. So this is where he's at. He's got friends telling him it's bad. He's got his wife telling him just end it all. He has no hope. He's lost all of his possessions. And he's like, What is wrong? You know, how can I ever get back? And all of these things that are going in. And then it says, Verse 12 Am I a sea or a whale that thou sets a watch over me? Now, this is kind of an interesting statement that he's making. He's saying, am I a sea, which he's talking about the tumultuous, wavy sea that causes problems? Right? Uh, or a whale. Now, the whale, word whale here is tannin, which means a monster or, or a dragon. Uh, would have been probably a dinosaur. Is there some kind of monster that need? You know, am I somebody that needs to be watched over all the time? All right. Uh, am, I, am I a tumultuous sea that causes problems? And it says that I need to be guarded. Now, he's probably thinking these friends of his are here to watch him to make sure he doesn't do anything, anything bad. You know? And he's looking at, God, why are you doing all of this stuff? Am I, am I somebody that is so bad that you're having to do all of this to me? And this is his problem right now. At this point he is racking his brain trying to figure out what did I do to deserve this kind of treatment? Because we've said this already he believes as his friends do that bad things don't happen to good people and yet bad things, you no, know, not even bad but terrible things have been happening to him so he is sitting there trying to figure out what is going on why Am I so bad? Am I a monster that God had to do this to me? And this is where he is at in his thinking. What is going on in my life that causes this much problems? And remember, right from the very beginning, and I've said this, if we're going through hard times, our first need is to look at our life and say, am I being disciplined by God for a sin in my life? And without going too introspective, because we all have sin in our life that we could be saying, but if we're having a really hard time, our first thing is, have I sinned? Is there something that makes me deserve this? David had a problem when he committed the sin with the adultery of Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. God's punishment on him was that his family was going to be having a sword in it for for the rest of his life, uh, that his children were going to do the same thing, same types of things. And that's what he has. And can you imagine that every time something bad from that point on happened to David's family? It's my fault. <laughs> it's my fault that they're doing this. It's my fault that this is happening. And that is our first thing. Is, is what we're going through a discipline? If we can't find that, then we, go, then we need to go just like Job is supposed to do. God, what is it that I need to learn from this experience? Only problem is... Job did not know that he was supposed to learn. He has not had example after example after example. He's Remember, Job is in the, one of the first books of the Bible. He's con, He is a contemporary in the same time period as Abraham. And so he does not have lots of examples of how to live, lots of biblical examples. He's got Cain and Abel. He's got Noah. You know, he's probably aware of... Abraham but Abraham's in his lifetime how 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 was Abraham lifted up in front of him he wasn't he's just learning about God so as he's going through all of this he's saying you know God why are you putting me in this guarded cage you know you're you're trying to restrict me I'm not a wild I'm not a wild sea or an ocean I'm not a monster that needs to be taken care of And this is where he's at as he's going through this. Then he says, when I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams. (laughs) He's going, all right, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to get a good night's sleep because that's all I can do. I just want to sleep. And we've all been there when when things are going bad. It's like, I just want to go to bed and get this day over with and have a good day tomorrow. A better day tomorrow and he says when I go to my bed when I go to my couch you scare or terrify me with dreams Now this is pretty sad I mean even in his dream even in sleep he's being bothered he is not getting a good night's sleep he is being sore and in pain all day long which is tiring in itself he goes to bed he's tossing and turning And when he does finally get to sleep, it says he sins in these terrifying dreams and you terrify me through visions. Can you imagine this? I mean, we've always thought about Job's loss of stuff, we think about the loss of his health. But his mental anguish is intensified at night. He's not even getting a good night's sleep. And this is something that is hard to be in so much pain that you can't sleep, to be in so much mental anguish that you can't sleep. And I can imagine when he goes to sleep, he's picturing his kids being killed, uh, all of his possessions being taken away, uh, thinking that there's nothing going on, and his mindset is nothing but negative. And he's saying, even when I go to sleep, there is nothing good. Now. Job is laying out a picture. He is making a reason why he's complaining. He is laying out a reason to these guys, you know, give me a little sympathy. All right. He goes, I am physically sick. I've lost everything and I can't even get rest at night. This is a terrible place to be in. And this is where he's at. Um. In verse 15, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my life, I loathe it, I would not live in always. Let me alone for my days are vanity. What is man that that you should magnify him and that you should set your heart upon him and that you should visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long will you not depart from me nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? So here is his statement. He says, My soul, my innermost being, chooses strangling. He goes, I just want death. I just want to die. I think Job at this point is very close to the idea of suicide. He's, He's gone through months of pain, mental anguish. And I don't think he's ready for it, but he's, his talk, if you're reading this, if you read this to a psychologist, these kind of statements to a psychologist, they'd put you in a cell to keep you from hurting yourself. And this is him saying, I just want to die and death rather than life. I want to die because life is so miserable, is what Job is saying. And we can picture this. I am glad I've never gone through anything like Job has done. I've had bits and pieces of it. I've had health taken away for a period of time and, and everything, but never to the degree that he had. He lost everything. And he does not understand it. Because remember, we said he believes in the whole idea, just as he agreed with, with, his, uh, with Eliphaz when he said it, that bad things don't happen to good things at the very beginning of chapter uh, 6 he's going you are right bad things don't happen to good people and then he's going in oh that i don't deserve what i've get, what what is happening to me if he could ever have said this is why it's happening you know if he'd have been able to say well yeah i did this and this is happening because of that at least he would have had hope that when he had paid his penance it would be over but he's going i don't understand this i don't deserve any of this stuff and i don't understand how long it's going to last. We need to be very careful about this as we go through. Uh, I loathe it, he says, I loathe, I despise my life. Now he has gone from worshiping God, offering sacrifices, praising God, hating evil, offering sacrifices for his kids, enjoying life, to saying, I hate my life. And I would be too if I was in his place after months and months of Of pain and saying a loss of everything and you know we'd be very easy in the flesh to say I hate my life and this is where Job's at I hate my life I would not live always (laughs) I do not want to continue living like this all right we've all been at that point in some place where God I just can't continue the way things are going this is not what I want and he says, "I cannot do this. Um, let me alone, or forbear. For my days are vanity or empty." Basically, saying, "God, just let things go. Forbear this. You know, give me, give me a break. My days are vanity. They're empty. They're worthless." And at this point, his days are worthless. He can't go to work because he's so sick. He can't work. He doesn't understand what's going on. He has no reason to work. He doesn't have a family to support anymore, so he has no real reason to go earn a living. He's so sick he can't earn a living. His wife is very supportive. She's told him to go curse God and die. So he has absolutely no reason to do anything. And his friends come along and they're telling him, you're so evil, you deserve this, You know, just tell us what you did. What a wonderful place Job is at. His entire support system is gone. And he's saying, I just want things over. I am tired of this life. I am tired of what's going on. I just want to see the end. And almost to the point of, God, just take me home. I'm tired of this. I don't want to see any more of this. Now, the good news is, and we know from testimony after testimony, when God delivers us from this type of problems and sicknesses, we have a great testimony. Job is going to end up at the end of the book, some, uh, let's see, we're on chapter 7, some, some 25, uh, 35 verses late, chapters later, he's going to have a great testimony. All right? But he's going to have a testimony that takes time to get built up. And we remember him that what, what ends up happening at the end, he gets back twice what he lost. And God says, elevates him to a great place. And God tells him, pray for your friends because I'm not happy with them. And God says, I'm going to judge them. And Job, says, Job prays for them and, and keeps God from judging them. So we know that Job is going to have a great testimony after all this period is over. How many times have we read, you know, if you read any books about different people who go through very, very hard times and then you see how God delivers and there's a testimony that gets built in. But I can tell you also in the midst of all that trial, you don't really care about the testimony that's coming at the end. All you know is I'm in terrible pain. I don't want this to happen any longer. Job is at that place. I don't want this to happen any longer. Then he goes, what is man that you should magnify him, that you should set your heart upon him? Now, this is a question that we could be asking even in our good times. What is man that God you should make great or spend time with? Job is in a kind of a disappointment he's remembering when God actually was blessing him and everything seemed good and he's saying what is man that you should make great that you should that you should set your heart upon him all right and I think this I think about this several times in my life God why do you care about me specifically, and mankind in general. God, we are miserable, terrible, wretched sinners, and yet you have great blessings for us. You set your heart on us. And as I said this morning, it amazes me that God even created man knowing that we were gonna sin. I cannot even wrap my head around that. God, you knew Adam and Eve were gonna sin before you created them. You knew that man were going to, mankind was going to sin and that Jesus would have to come and die for them. You knew that the majority of mankind was going to reject you and yet you created mankind knowing all of this. And this is kind of his statement on here. Who is man that you are even caring about us? He knows the beginning from the end. You, have to, you, like to, you like to ask the questions, why does God do something? I can't answer why God. You know, I have struggled with this whole idea of God, why did you create man knowing what was going to happen? What God gets out of it, I have no idea. What why he did it, I have no idea. He's some kind of plan. He's well, because one of the things and you, you love movies and stuff, so I'm gonna throw this out to you. The the writers and directors know where the movie's going. So they do things early in the movie that make no sense to us until we get to the end of the movie. God has a reason. You know, he's, better, you know, he's written the perfect story, and we don't know how this story... Well, we, don't, we know that we end up in heaven, but we don't know how he ties all the loose ends together into a perfect story. Right. We don't know how the story ends. He already does. To us, we look at it and say, God, why would you be doing this? It makes no sense whatsoever. They have a reason for almost everything they do in a movie. God has a reason for everything that's happening in his very long movie. 6,000-year movie. He's got a reason for everything that is being done. And we don't know what it is. When we get to heaven, maybe he'll show us, or we'll see it from the, in its final format and understand it. It's the story of the tapestry. When we see it from this side with all the knots and the, and the loose threads, what will it look like when we see the right side of it and see the beautiful picture and realize that, oh that, that knot right there was my life. And it was, oh, that's why, you know, that's why it was colored the way it was. You know, uh, why is God doing it? He knows. And it's a very long story. But I, as I said, I look at it and say, God, Why? <laughs> Because I can't understand and God looks down and says hey, I know where we're going you may not know where we're going but I know where I'm going and I know where you're going with this story I've been, I've been really struggling lately with how much God created that doesn't appear to be joined with him that doesn't appear to have made the choice that he be us he get excited? We do make the right <laughs> and the fall and the fall of all of creation all creation is yearning for the completion of of the redemption and that's what romans tells us all creation fell when adam and eve sinned it wasn't just man, it was everything like everything. everything fell and it's an amazing thought about what has god done and you know as i said he's got a story he knows how the story is going to end. And he knows how all the little pieces tie together by the end of the story. I can't understand the story at all half the time. Even though, I've, even though we have seen close to 6,000 years of the story, we still don't understand how he's going to tie all the pieces together. And But that's what the good story is. A good movie doesn't tie all the pieces together until that last scene of the movie where all the stray pieces come together and finalize. And God has written a story, has a story planned, and he will not reveal that story until the last scene of the movie. And we still have a thousand years left, minimum. And even that has a, is a turn at the end of it. When Satan is released the ar- and he raises an army to go against him. And God has a reason for that. Though that one makes a little more sense, but you know, it's still, why would anybody join that army after having a thousand years of perfect reign? But, you know, this is the story that he says, and Job is saying, God, why do you even care about man? Why do you build us up? Why do you even set your heart on him to care for him? And at this point, he's feeling that God is not caring for him, but he's saying, you know, God why do you even care about humanity we're just these little ants walking walking around on the on this earth and you created everything and you are so much greater than us why would you even care to know us it's kind of a sad place but it is also a true statement why does God care about humans at all we turn our back on him we don't we don't pay attention to him and yet God cares and has a plan and this is where Job is at with him. He says, "And that man should vis- and that you should visit him every morning and try him every night." Job understood that God would communicate with his people. Right? Again, he did not have the word of God, but we get to communicate with God when we read the scriptures, we get to pray, we praise Him, and God is present with us. Now I don't know if God actually literally talked to Job or not in this period of time. Uh, We know that he talked to Abraham a couple of times, but probably not every single night. Job has probably been talked. He's a very righteous person. Never says that God talked to him until the end of the book, and then God talks to him. But is it possible that God had talked to him before? I don't know. But he's talking about how God has visited and talks to him, and he does not have the word of God to be talked to by we have God's word to be communicated to and, and by. And it says every morning, and you try him or assay, test. All right? You try him. God runs us. And what he doesn't recognize is that God is assaying him right now. All right, it's, This is a long, long process and months that he's been under. But God is testing him to say, will you still trust me when it doesn't look like I'm working? And this is what God says to us so often. Are you going to trust me even when you do not see me working? And we've said this so many times. How many times in our life do we just go through day by day looking like God's not doing anything in our life, waiting for him to do something great? Why? Because we look at the scriptures and say, God, look at this. You always did great things. You did, you know, you blessed this person. You did this, you did this, you did this. And as I've pointed out to us several times, if we really look at their life, how many times was it just get up in the morning, do your day, go to bed, and God God didn't seem to do anything. Get up the next morning, do your day, go to bed. And then all of a sudden God steps in, shakes your life up a little bit, and then you go back to the normal. That is the normal way God works. Now, when we read the scripture, sometimes we don't recognize that. We look at Abraham's life, and we have like five big events in Abraham's life, and that covers almost 80 years of time, and five events make it to the Bible. And we read the Bible, and it goes, bang, 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 bang. Look, at all, look how excited Job's life was, uh, uh, Abraham's life was. Five events in 80 years. (laughs) All right. And we need to be careful that we don't think that things are going to always be exciting with God. There's long periods of time where something doesn't seem to happen. And then God steps in. And when he steps in, he shakes up your life. And you probably don't even like when he shakes up your life because he makes you look foolish. You have to do crazy things. Abraham was told, take your son you know, of promise and go up on that mountain and make a sacrifice. Uh, God, you said that he's my son. The kingdom, is going; to, the nations are going to come out of here. What do you mean go up on the mountain and sacrifice him? That made no sense. Very hard thing to be obedient on. And yet he was obedient. So we want to be careful. Sometimes when God moves in our life, we look at him and say, you know, do we want God to shake up our life like he did Moses? Now we know the end of the story, and we'll go, yeah, I want that. But how often in the middle of that shake-up are we saying, God, I don't want what's going on. I do not even want to be used for a testimony. I don't want to see the end of this. We have to be very careful that we might get what we want you know, or ask for. The one thing I've ever been God shakes up, shake ups in shake-ups of my life is that He's so close that the shake-up doesn't really matter. That's good. We, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. When we're following him close, it doesn't matter and we're, and we're ready for it. The hard place is the shake-up usually tests us how close we are to God. And we could go either way. When I walk successfully through it, I'm excited about what happens. When I don't get ex- successfully, it's like, this is miserable. God, why are, you, why are you turning my life upside down? And then we get to the other side of it and realize, oh, this is, what I was, this is what you were trying to do. And you're right, if I'm walking close with God and I'm and I'm successfully walking with him through the problem, it's a wonderful experience. Yeah. But we don't always do that. Yeah, when we do it right, it's wonderful. You yeah, you want to stay where you're at. Verse 19, how long will you not depart from me, nor let me alone, till I swallow down my spittle? In other words, he's saying basically until I you know when are you going to give me some breath God when are you going to give me a chance to breathe all right is it what that colloquialism means you know it's like uh, God I just need a moment to breathe would you just leave me alone now he's not in the right spot with God at this moment he doesn't know what's going on he goes God I just need a chance to just give me God give me a day where I can catch my breath and this is something that we need to be careful of because sometimes we'll get there where God is moving so fast and doing so much in our life that we're going, I just need a chance to catch my breath because things are moving at such a speed and I don't even like where it seems to be going. And then verse 20 is, have I, I have sinned, what shall I do unto you? Now, the Septuagint reads this, have I, what sin have I done that commits this? Or if I have sinned. Because right, remember, he's always been saying, I am not sinned bad enough. And so at this point, he's saying, God, if I have sinned something that is so bad uh, unto you, he goes, have I sinned? What shall I do unto you, O you preserver of men? Why have you set me, set me as a mark against you so that I am a burden to myself? Basically saying, what have I done that's so bad that you have put a target on me? Now, this is the first time he's actually recognized that there's something, a target on him. He just doesn't remember or know who is shooting at that target. But God did put the target on him. Remember, Satan went to God and said, you know, he won't follow you if you, if you do these things, allow these things to happen. And God says, okay, you can do this. He's coming close to the truth at this point. God has let a target be put on him. He doesn't understand, because his mind is, and you only get a target on it on you, if you deserve, if you've done something that deserves, to have a target put on you. All right? So he's going, "Have I sinned so bad, you preserver of man?" And then verse 21 is going to be one that we're going to cover real quick, because this is a question that gets heard a lot. And why? Do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? And now shall I sleep in the dust for you shall seek me and I shall not be. So let me come back to this in verse 20. I have sinned. What, shall, what have I to do with you? What have I done that's so bad to you, God, that you care? This is what he's saying. And I've heard this statement a lot of times from people. Why would God care about what I do at all? Now, in this state, he's actually not fully understanding the depth of sin against a holy God. And unfortunately, usually we do not understand the depth of sin against a holy God. It takes us our whole lifetime to even begin to see how evil we are in the depth of our heart. Jeremiah says that there is nothing but evil in the depths of our heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And we get to spend our entire life with God sanctifying us and cleaning us. And then, and then he shines a brighter light into our heart and we go, oh, it's ugly down there. Just when we think we've arrived, we've gotten rid of all of our sin, God shows that there's more sin down there that we are not even aware was there. This is where Job's at at this moment. God, uh, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I don't know what I have done that offends you so much because he's not fully understanding that any sin offends God. And this is a problem with mankind in general because do we compare ourselves to God's standard or do we compare ourselves to other people? Usually we compare ourselves to other people. God, I'm better than most people. I don't deserve all that you're doing to me. And yet God is saying, you don't understand my attitude towards sin. All sin is evil. Proverbs tells us these seven things God hates. And, you know, it's an amazing thing. If we were to put together the, set, the list of things that God hates, we'd put murder or fornication, adultery. What does God put up there? Lying lips. Words that spread gossip. You know, what does God say? I am against those things that hurt the soul more than I am against those that hurt the body. You now we teach our kids and have, we all know that still sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me. What a lie. <laughs> words hurt more than the broken bones and I can't I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and even for myself how many times I can remember things that were said when I was young that still hurt if I think about them. People get hurt drastically by words. And God understands that. This is why he says he hates lying lips. He hates gossip. He hates those who who are bringing discord amongst people. And Job is saying, I've got a mark so that I'm a burden even to myself. Because I don't even like where I'm at. I don't even like me where I'm at is what he's saying. Why do you not pardon my transgression. He goes, you have given me so much trouble that God, even if there is something that, that I deserve this, God, haven't I paid enough for it yet? Haven't I paid enough? And take away my iniquity for now shall I sleep in the dust and you shall seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. In other words, saying I just want to die in my sleep, get it over with. And his, his complaint is to God, God, haven't I had enough suffering yet? Whatever it is I've done, God, haven't I suffered enough? For, and in his mind, he has not done anything worthy of suffering. He goes, so whatever it is, God, that I have done that has so offended you, haven't I suffered enough? These months of suffering, haven't I suffered enough? And this is his complaint. God, I don't know. I didn't go out and murder anybody. I didn't I didn't blaspheme your name. I didn't do all this stuff, God. You know, and all this bad stuff's happening to me. God, I'm not sure what I've done, but, you know, it, it can't have been that bad for months of extreme pain. And this is where Job's last statement is on this bad things don't happen to good people defense. Uh God, I if I did something that was bad, I I feel like I've done more than enough Discipline to get over it. And he's going, God, uh, please tell me what, you know, how much longer do I have to suffer for not having done anything that's going to be that that bad? I feel like I, if I did something, God, I've done, I've done enough suffering. And this is the way most people think and how I've thought at times when I've gone through hard times. Even when I deserve it, there's some, you know, you want to say, God, I, have I suffered enough? And this is our attitude, that when bad things happen, God is punishing us for something, and it's like there's going to be an end to the punishment, because I wasn't quite that bad. And this is the problem that we have, and in in our case, we know that Job does not deserve what it is, because what was God's testimony to to Lucifer? Here is a perfect and upright man who hates evil. So Job is right. He has gone through more suffering than he deserved because there's nothing in his life that deserves as much suffering as he's going through. If his first statement was true, that bad things don't happen to good people, then his statement is true. I've suffered more than enough. Even though God says he's a perfect and righteous, upright man, God wasn't saying he was perfect. (laughs) He's just saying he's covered and his heart is to seek after me. Uh, as much as a heart sinful heart can seek after God uh, But his testimony is he's offering sacrifices. He wants to follow follow God and he hates overt evil uh, So I don't think God in no way was saying well. Here's a perfect man that has not sinned All right? and this is why I've made it very clear when we have problems in our life our first job is to look and say have I done something that deserves the punishment that I'm getting And again, I remember I always say without being too introspective because we can always look at my life. Well, you know, God, I didn't I didn't quite pray enough yesterday. I didn't. You know, I told that lie. You know, we know to be careful because, you know, the little things are not why God's bringing extreme hardship into our life. So we look at this and say, well, gee, you know, I've been I've got this besetting sin that I keep falling for. God is really trying to work that out of my life. That's a different story. Or David's case, where he commits adultery and tries to commit murder, and doesn't repent right away, and it takes him over a year to to finally have Nathan come to him, and then he repents after he's challenged directly by the prophet. How do you explain to like the example, with people down in Texas and all their kids were killed. I mean, how do you explain to them why this happened? God has a plan that we don't know the problem is the premise that job has and the premise that his friends have that bad things don't happen to good people is a lie in the first place the rain falls on the just and on the unjust because of sin in this world bad things happen to good or innocent people but technically there is no good or innocent people to begin with we are born in sin and we are born with a death sentence on us for our sin. Even before we commit, we have iniquity in our heart from the very beginning. So the question that has to be asked is not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to all of us bad people? And that's because of God's grace and mercy. Why does bad things happen? Because we're in a fallen world. We have the answer. We're in a fallen world because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And bad things will happen. And things will and things are only going to keep getting worse. As more bad happens and God brings judgment, more evil and bad is going to happen. And the further we get away from God, the more the things are going to get bad. And this is something we have to fully understand. We're getting close to the end days where Jesus is going to re- return in our rapture and from what he said things are just going to get worse people are going to do what is right in their own eyes and when they're doing what is right in their own eyes they don't care about the harm that somebody else gets that happens to them All right the person who goes out and gets drunk and says i got to go home so they get behind the wheel and then run into a family you know a family uh, uh, car and kills the entire family was not saying well i'm just i I'm, I'm going to go kill somebody today. He says, I just don't care because I'm going to do what I want to do. And this is what happens in today's world is people are getting more and more evil. They do what they want to do in spite of who's going to get hurt. And then God brings judgment upon the country for allowing such a thing. And then we even have more innocent lives being destroyed or quote-unquote innocent lives being destroyed because of the storms and the and the. And all the judgments of God and so this is where we're at with all of this going on do we understand it completely no again we do not understand the whys for every, everything that happens and one of the things I have learned in my short 62 years of life is quit asking God why number one I have never had him explain why Even when I get into scriptures, he does not explain why. He says, I have a plan, I have a reason, and I can speculate on what I think that reason is, but God does not explain why, and I don't expect him in heaven to explain why. We will see things in their completed form, and we'll see the end of the story, and we probably won't have any more whys at that point because we'll have seen the last scene in the story where everything ties together But the most important thing is is we will be much more happy with god when we just say god you are sovereign you do what you want to do rather than say god explain yourself to me because what are we really saying when we ask god why and to explain himself god i am god you you're you're subject to me so you need to explain yourself to me And that's not a very good place. And most people don't think of it that way. But really, when we're demanding that God tell me why you're doing something or the person who's going through it, what are they really saying? Uh, God, I don't care where you're at. I, I want to be in your place, which was the original sin. I want to be like God. So, God, you need to explain to me, because I am so important that I am more than you, you need to explain to me why these bad things are happening. And God just looks at us and laughs, and says, "I am the Creator. I am God. I do not have to tell you why I'm doing anything. Yeah. You know, I am the Potter. You are the clay. If I want to turn you into a bowl, you're a bowl. If I want to turn you into a cup, you're a cup. You know. If I want to destroy you, I am the Creator and the Potter. And we need to be very careful." when we try to demand that God answers us because we're trying to elevate ourselves to a position that's not ours. I think God knows the plan. He knows where he's going. And he says, just do what I told you to do. And if it has what you think is bad, just understand that there is all things are going to work together for good. The fact that I can't understand how it's going to work together for good is beside the point. Because the one who's going to work it together for good is the one that knows how it's going to turn out. If he ends my life, that's wonderful because I get to go to heaven. You know, but if he ends somebody else's life and I miss them, if they're saved, they went to heaven, I should be happy for them anyway. But there's good. There's good in all that he does. And I've lived long enough to see many of the cases where God has put somebody through something and seen how good has come from it. And if I don't, it still doesn't matter because when I get to heaven, I'll see how that good came out in heaven. And I look at the tapestry and the story from its complete thing and go, oh, that's how all of this worked together. That's how, oh, wow, that's amazing how you brought all these things together at the end of the story. And I think it's going to be one of those things when we look and say, you know, and people go, when I get to heaven, I'm going to demand of God. Why? When you see the end of the story, you're not going to demand why. Because you're going to see how all the pieces came together and you're going, oh, God, you, you did a wonderful story as you brought all those pieces together. And it's going to be wonderful. Job is not at the end of his story yet. Now, we've read the end of his story, hopefully, and if you haven't, read the end of his story, because it's wonderful how God ties all of his trials and problems together. And he does a good job, and this is why the book of Job is in there. When we go through hard times, God is still sovereign, and he'll tie all the pieces together when he's ready to tie them together. And we need to understand all of this. Job is complaining right now. He's in pain. He's suffering. He does not see the end of the story. He does not know the end of the story. He doesn't even know the beginning of the story. His beginning is when he loses everything and he loses his health. That's where he starts his story. He doesn't go back to before that when Satan is saying, God, if you just take away all the stuff, he's going to curse you. He does not even know the beginning of the story. How many times do we question God, not knowing the beginning of the story, not seeing what caused the, the 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 problem in the first place, and then we demand God to tell us what's going on before we even get, we don't know the beginning and we don't know the end, and we're trying to tell say, God, you're going to tell me what's going on. And God says, Well, eventually I'll show you the beginning of the story, and then I'll show you the end of the story. And it's been said over and over again, and this last thing I'm going to say, if we knew everything that God knows about our life, we would choose exactly what he lets come into our life. Now that's hard to say, especially when things aren't going right. But if we knew everything that God knows, we'd say, God, I want, what I want this pain in my life because I know, I know what's going to happen because of it. Now we don't say that in the middle of the story. But can we hold on to that truth that God knows more than we do and if we knew everything he did, we'd be happy with whatever he's allowed in our way. And that's where we need to know and Job is not there at this point. Lord, we ask you to guide and lead us, Lord. Help us to understand at all times when we're going through hardship that you are in charge, you have a plan and that you have a direction that you're planning to take us in. Help us to stay focused on your plan and to trust you no matter what happens and comes our way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com.